Well, today it is my pleasure to welcome a familiar voice to the Wayside Podcast, though you normally hear him in the pulpit uh, that we post on Mondays. We do uh, our sermons every Sunday. We post one of them. And and so Russ Levinson is with us, and he's going to talk to us about his new book, In God's Grip, What Golf Can Teach Us About the Gospel. So Russ, welcome to the Wayside Podcast. Wesley, always good to be with you, my friend and colleague here at St. Martin's. That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. Um, well, sir, it's um, you've published yet again, and this one's a little bit different than some of your other uh, writings. And so I'm curious, um, what is it that inspired you to write about? I, I know the gospel thing. Yeah, you're really you got that. About, you got that. Yeah. Uh, but the golf, you know, that's a new thing. Um, yeah. I, in fact, I, two of my sons with whom I played golf when they were adolescents would probably run in the room at me and scream now. Dad, you don't even play golf. And the, and but the truth of the matter is, I d- did play for many years, and then played with both of them until yeah. they were ready to put it down or move on. And um, and frankly, the job I have right now does not allow me to spend five or six or seven hours on a course on a particularly on a Sunday. It's good <laughs> but, ministry, but, but not, it is. <laughs> it, but but definitely not on a Saturday. But I look forward to someday returning because I remember those days uh, as a young man playing a good bit. I was um, writing a homily for a funeral of someone who really enjoyed golf, and uh, as I was looking for illustrations, I came across Ben Hogan's mm-hmm. classic work, "The Five Lessons um, of Golf," that he wrote many, many years ago. And as I began to read it, I thought, well, you know, this would be an interesting collection of examples turned into metaphors mm-hmm. that, that really speak about our own journey with our Lord. And, uh, and so I kind of put that aside for a while. And then I had a sabbatical a few years ago and um, uh, wrote it in a, about a week. I wrote the whole thing in about a week and then uh, was was kind of peddling it to my to my agent, mm-hmm. a guy named Tom Dean, when I mentioned the last book that came out, the book on the bushes. And um, he said, oh, well, hang on a minute. Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about that, and that was a two-year project. And as uh, kind of the almost the one-year anniversary of that book came around, I mm-hmm. pulled this back out. So this last summer on my sabbatical time, I finished it up, tightened it up, and... Um, uh, and I think what I, I love, I mean, Ben Hogan was not, and I say this in the book, he was not someone who, today we talk about Christian golfers, mm-hmm. we think of Jordan Spieth or yeah. uh, Scotty Scheffler, or people like that who were pretty open about it. That was certainly not Ben Hogan's way. And, of course, mm-hmm. he was a quiet man anyway. A lot of people talk about how quiet and reserved he was. Um, but he was giving a speech um, later in his life in which he was thanking uh, the practice of self-discipline. He was glad that he had that opportunity to have that. He was thanking his wife. And and then he just, in the middle of that, drops, and you just can't do something like this without God's help. Mm. And I, I thought, now that sings. That sings mm-hmm. for the introduction. And so I thought, I'm going to, this is a book about God's help. Mm-hmm. And I want to use his five lessons as metaphors for the way in which one discovers the faith and grows in the faith. Well, you know, and thinking about our baptismal covenant, mm-hmm. I mean, that is kind of the line that we commit to all of these different things with God's help. 
Right. And um, right. that we really can't can't do it alone. Now, you did say uh, at the very beginning of your book, you dedicated it to your dad. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about y'all's relationship and why that really was part of the possible He loved golf. Yeah. He, he, and, and, and still loves golf. He doesn't play anymore. He's 85. And um, not that he probably probably in better physical health than I am <laughs> 61, but uh, still loves to watch it. Um, he and his wife, uh, Trudy, who's my, my new stepmother, they actually like to watch golf together, which is a remarkable nice. thing that he found somebody who they would sit and watch for hours. Uh, but he loved it, and he honed his skills, and I watched him play, played with him as a young man. Mm. Uh, I, I preferred, interestingly enough, I preferred to play alone. I know golf is a real, really kind of a group thing often, but um, my preference when I was playing as a younger man was uh, to walk the course yeah. and play by myself. And it was good to have that alone time. And then nobody could see my gaffes, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> as, as well. But but yeah, Dad, uh, Dad loved and loves golf as he does. Football and basketball and baseball. <laughs> so, so those books are yet to come. That's right. right. <laughs> Just keep the metaphor right. going to the different sports. Um, what is your hope for folks who read this? What do you, I hate to say, get out of it? What do you want them to take from it? Some of the key mm. lessons after reading. Well, it? my my publisher is Insight Press. They're out of Covington, Louisiana, but the the kind of my my. In with that group is a fellow by the name of Dr. Fisher Humphreys, who was actually my uh, systematic theology professor mm. in, during my doctoral program at oh, Beeson wow. Divinity School. But he's had this, he and his partners have had this uh, side gig for many years and have published a number of books. And he made a little, he's got a great dry sense of humor. He said, this may be a book about two of the most important things in people's lives, mm. <laughs> golf and God, and maybe not in the particular order. Yeah. So, um, But I do know a lot of people do play golf, and um, and my hope is that those who do or those who are thinking about it might pick it up with that interest yeah. and then be kind of drawn into, well, yeah, I can see this. I can see where um, the way in which I understand um, grip or stance or backswing, downswing, those kinds of things mm-hmm. can relate to my day-to-day uh, journey with God. Uh, and there are moments where I stop in the book, one in particular where I stop and ask a question about mm-hmm. where are you in your relationship with God? Because and I kind of do that early in the book. To really understand the rest of the book, you need to at least come <laughs> not to Not to scare them away. Not to scare them away, <laughs> but, but, but uh, you know, to... to have an interest in what follows, you really need to ask, am I even interested in, to carry the metaphor a little bit, getting on the golf course? Am mm-hmm. I even interested in becoming a Christian or following Christ or seeing what that means? And if yeah. so, I do think it's a book that will will help people understand that better. And it seems like it can even be for those who have been in the church their whole life to mm-hmm. kind of rediscover mm-hmm. the fundamentals of faith. Yeah, and that's a very important point because one of the things that that Hogan talks about in his five lessons, I, I actually pulled out a little piece of this, but he says early on that he thinks way too many people spend way too much time um, on you know, making golf a difficult game to learn mm-hmm. and to practice, and uh, and what he says is no, really, they're just some basic things that if you learn them and practice them over and over again, and just to quote, quote it, quoting Hogan now out of this book, which is available soon 
on Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble, Target, and Walmart. Very, uh, Did I say that? All, all those, our, our all those websites. Hopefully, our gift yeah, shop. Yeah, and, and, and the gift <laughs> shop here at St. Martin's. Um, but Hogan writes, um, as he improves, the average golfer golfer will enjoy the game more and more. Uh, for a cor- correct swing, will enable him to rediscover golf. In fact, to discover golf for the first time. He will have the necessary equipment, the full vocabulary for golf. He's going to see a different game entirely. When he gets on a tee, where 170-yard minimum carry is needed to get across the water hazard, he won't go blank over the ball, as some golfers do, and just pray that somehow he will get over it, the water, this being the best he can hope for. No, he'll know he can carry uh, 200 yards of water any old time, and he'll honestly be able to think about the more advanced things. So mm-hmm. in, in other words, he, and he spends a lot of time talking about the importance of practice, practice, mm-hmm. And um, you know, and he he recommends certain exercises for thirty minutes a day. Well, I mean, that's something that you and I probably recommend to people too. Yeah. If you want a deeper relationship with our Lord, spend thirty minutes a day in prayer, in study of the Bible, in reflection, again and again and again. And the more you do that, the more your walk deepens. So, well, I'm curious in your many many years of ministry. That may be the same amount of time that I've been alive. Um, thinking about, there are things in our culture, especially, mm-hmm. that distract us from the fundamentals, right. or even seep into what we think faith is about or Christian practice is about. I mean, what does it say, in your experience, for people who have kind of gotten off track mm-hmm. with faith or tried to make it something that is not? And kind of this invitation to return to the fundamentals. What are some of the things that are really distracting folks? Yeah, well, um, you and I have one within arm's reach. Our, our telephones, which are no longer telephones, they're, yeah. they're computers. They're constantly knocking on the door for our attention. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've, I, it's it's just become fascinating to me that, um, and I, I realize it can be a wonderful tool. And I'm I'm glad to be able to reach anybody in my family whenever I want to. <laughs> Um, but uh, it's been interesting to me to watch increasingly when you just sit down to to Google something, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden you, you, the pop-ups come. Or you accidentally click on this, uh, you know, politician and you're taken to three different places. And then all of a sudden you've got to make choices about whether or not I'm going to read those or I'm going to close. Now I've got to close that. Now I've got to start off. Yeah. Where was I? What was I trying to do? <laughs> um, and um, so I think that's there, I think. As we know, um, Wesley, the the challenges, and it's certainly true, of false information. Uh, I was doing a little study last week of of um, how many hours the average person spends on social media a day, and it comes to about two and a half hours is wow. the, the average person. And we know people have more or less. But I thought, well, I wonder, how, have they done any research about how much of that information is is found to be faulty or not true or mm-hmm. misinformation. About thirty-eight to forty percent wow. of that information is not even true, and so um, we're giving our minds over to these places that carry us down, uh, you know, rabbit holes that mm-hmm. that really are, in my mind, a waste of time. And it's yeah. not that I don't. From time, I'm an eBayer. I, I order off Amazon, <laughs> and I, you know, and I read news articles on occasion, but. I, I just can't spend hours a day. So that's certainly one. Mm. But I do think there are other things, and I, and I mentioned this in the book. Um, uh, one of the things that Ben Hogan talks about 
uh, are swing wreckers. What he calls mm-hmm. there's certain things mm-hmm. that you, if you have a good swing, but there's certain things that are swing wreckers. Yeah. And 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 one of those he says, for instance, is you keep remembering the bad shot. You know, you get it, and you go to bed that night. Well, I mean, what's this? Uh, that's would be our sin and our guilt. Yeah. I mean, you, yes, we sin, and that's certainly a, that certainly upends our lives. But then, even if we experience the mercy and forgiveness of our Lord, then we have the guilt. We have, we, yeah. we lay there at night and think, well, why did I do that? And why I wish I hadn't done that. And mm. just like we play the bad shot over and over again. And one of the things I think our faith tries to do is release us from that pressure. Yeah. So that we can walk away and get you know start start a whole new game the next day. Thanks yeah. be to God. Well, it seems like the fundamentals don't mean all right. Go join a monastery, right? Like right. that. It's not that extreme. It might be. Yeah, might be. But that actually, it's within kind of our active everyday life that we can kind of return back to some of the Christian practices right. that have worked for the church. Yeah, I talk about. Different spiritual disciplines, uh, and and I don't actually, and you have to read the book to mm. see Teaser. more about this. But um, but I don't. Uh, for instance, I probably begin where a lot of people don't think you would begin. I begin with guidance, mm. and um, and and this is one of the things that Hogan says. You know, he says throughout the book, if I could just teach you what I have found through my experience, these basic lessons and you could accept them as something that will work in your in your game I promise you your game will get better mm. and and I think uh, what a lot of people need are older wiser uh, experienced Christians yeah. that will spend enough time to tell you well this is this is where I made yeah. mistakes yeah. this is what helped me grow I was with a group of uh, elderly clergy just the other night. There were all the retired clergy in this area, Texas, mm. and gave a little talk. And I, I began by thanking all of them. Mm. And I said, I, number one, I, I've always had older mentors in my life. And I hope, and I've always benefited from that. And I do to this day. Yeah. My spiritual director is over 80 years old. Two of them <laughs> are over 80 years old. And I said to them, I hope, I mean, first of all, if, if you're not called upon, that's to someone else's loss. But yeah. if you are called upon, I hope you'll spend that kind of time mm. with people. So, yeah. uh, but guidance is one, and I and I think again, what uh, again and again, Ben Hogan is not trying to um, uh, further the cause of the gospel in this book, Five Lessons. But he, but he, does, there's a lot of wisdom in here about not just about golf, but about life. And and in his book, and I try to pull that over into the uh, into our. Christian journey. Well, and one thing that you um, spend a good amount of time in the book, not to spoil, grace. You talk mm-hmm. about grace, and mm-hmm. this is a conversation that you and I have had mm-hmm. recently. When we talk about grace, what are what do we actually mean by that when we think about this being a part of the fundamental nature of who a Christian is, is to live a life in God's grace, to understand that. But yeah, help us a little bit if We've struggled with that mm-hmm. term a little bit. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, let me use uh, just a me- another metaphor just came yeah. to mind on this. So um, I, about 6% of this book is from Ben Hogan's book, mm-hmm. right? About 6%. And, um, and so I had to write and get permission from somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wrote it during COVID. So I, I, and I, the first publisher was Simon & Schuster. Mm-hmm. So I wrote him a letter, nothing. 
wrote another letter, another letter, and I started contacting people I knew in the publishing business. And one fellow I know at Random House in New York said, you know no one's coming into the office, right? Here in New York. <laughs> and he said, so chances are you've got three or four letters sitting on a desk somewhere that are not going to be open until all of this is over. Wow. And so once all this was over, again, my agent, Tom Dean, finally tracked down somebody, Simon Schuster, and said, well, this book's so old. The family actually owns the rights mm. to the book. And uh, here's the family's lawyer's name, a woman named Cheryl, and she lives up near Dallas. And so I wrote her, and she said, well, you know, we're going to have to see some of this. And I said, oh, you can see all of it. I finished it. So I sent it to her, and she she wrote back, and she said, sure, fine. The family's fine. And, and as long as you say that the heirs of Ben Hogan gave you permission, and we're happy for you to do this. Mm. Okay, so... There's, here's the grace metaphor. All that work for mm. something that was just waiting there for mm. a, a brief exchange. The brief exchange was, may I? Mm. Yes, you can. And I think a lot of what we do in our Christian journey is spend a lot of time trying to get yes from God. Mm. When the cross and the resurrection tell us plainly, God loves us. Yeah. Yes, I love you. You are. You have permission to be my child now, but it, but what? But what does he say with that? He says, "Just tell people about that. Mm-hmm. Tell people about what you've experienced. Yeah, you have permission. But 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 this comes from uh, a trinitarian God who expects you to live in a certain way. So you tell that with your thoughts and with your actions and with the way you treat others. So yes, I think grace, we are accepted, embraced, loved by our Lord. But grace is always, as the scriptures tell us, should be something that transforms us slowly, sometimes five steps forward and 10 steps back. And you know all those things that you and I have talked about, Wesley. But mm-hmm. uh, so tr- grace should be transformative and it should not leave us in the state in which we come to find grace. I think mm-hmm. our Lord always, you know, when he said, follow me, it meant follow me and be transformed. Yeah. You know, they didn't just, and then, you know, the, this wonderful series out called The Chosen. You get lots of images from that uh, series on Amazon now, I think, but um, in which you see, yeah, you can see how the, the three years of theology and mm-hmm. study with our Lord really took a lot of work to get those apostles to yeah. to be the ones who finally entrusted with the gospel to go into the world. But he certainly didn't just say, follow me and keep being who you are. Follow mm. me and let me transform you. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, that really kind of gets to the main image of being in God's grip. Mm-hmm. And you talk about there are other things mm-hmm. that we try to grip and take hold of, or they take hold of us thinking mm-hmm. about wealth thinking about the desire for success or for fulfillment mm-hmm. and some and that really those things are fleeting mm-hmm. and sometimes we just have to run after those things anyways to realize that they are fleeting mm-hmm. um, but there's just such a longing I think now today's for something more and I see mm-hmm. that with our young adults especially young parents as well I mean mm-hmm. that the status quo of how life is is just not going to be enough because mm-hmm. we have these expectations. And so I'm curious, thinking about, you know, where we are in the world and where St. Martin's is and kind of the gift, what are some things that are exciting you about mm-hmm. ministry? And it could be here in Houston, it could be St. Martin's, or just something in general. What are some things um, that you're getting Well, I mean, about? I'm always excited to come to St. Martin's. 
717 Sage Road, Houston, Texas. <laughs> I, I love my work here. I love the people here. It really is such an organic, vibrant church that I think is grounded in the gospel, grounded yeah. in uh, knowing and knowing Jesus and making him known in a real way. And so, the, the, I mean, I can't not get excited about that. Um, there are things that uh, you didn't ask me. Things that trouble me. There are certainly things that, that trouble me. Own question. Okay. <laughs> well, but but I will say the things that excite me as I do see, and maybe it's uh, you know in a culture that seems to be rife with division and mm-hmm. disunity, I see pockets of unity. Mm-hmm. I see um, there are good news stories to tell. I, I, you and I were in clergy meeting together a few days ago, and I said I've stopped reading a particular Christian periodical that shall remain nameless because the stories are so depressing. Yeah. It's about church misconduct or a church that's breaking up, or you know. And I just I, I, I need I want to tell those good stories, and I mm-hmm. think they're out there. Um, you see, lots of people committed. Just weeks ago, you and I were at the Radvo conference mm-hmm. together, where there were 200, 250 people. Most of them not my age, most of them your age, <laughs> half my age, and I th- and I left being very encouraged. Well, the future mm-hmm. of the church is in good hands. Um, so that's that's all exciting to me. Well, we've definitely got a busy season of life here at St. Martin's, but it, a lot of ways to get involved. Yeah, a lot of ways to connect, and I think that's really kind of the helpful thing of thinking about kind of moving into God's grip, thinking about kind of taking on some of these Christian practices, that it is not just an individual call mm-hmm. to go and do, but it really is the call to be a part of a larger community mm-hmm. and kind of sharing in the life of a church, wherever that is. If that's Houston, there's mm-hmm. a church for you mm-hmm. uh, that may be on Sage Road, uh, mm-hmm. but that really kind of as you talk about in your book, this this call of faith is not just for me personally, but what does it mean to be connected? And I think that's a huge part of our culture today, thinking about a lot of people who are lonely, who are mm-hmm. depressed, that there is, especially coming out of the pandemic, who are just isolated, longing mm-hmm. for something more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know you recently preached about sheep, and, I and, and I've I decided to do that Sunday. We have the <laughs> we have the 23rd Psalm in the lectionary, and... Um, you know, we know the image Jesus talks about when the one sheep leaves the 99, he goes after the one sheep. But he doesn't go after that one sheep and walk away with that one sheep. His his purpose <laughs> is to get that one sheep to come back to the fold yeah. because that's where he that sheep uh, belongs, yeah. and we belong in that fold. And so one of the things I'll say Sunday in my sermon is, uh, you know, when we, when we pray our Father, that means that I automatically have a family of brothers and sisters mm, yeah. around the world, yeah. cross-culturally yeah. around the world. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think one of the things that as I began to kind of, again, pull this book together, I tried to find some, they're wonderful stories about transformation in people's lives. And, you know, in our heads, we think of the ones everybody, St. Augustine or uh, C.S. Lewis or those. But, I, you know, in the in the book here, I mentioned Alice Cooper, who's mm-hmm. who's come to faith. You know, who would have thought when I was a teenager <laughs> listening to School's Out for the Summer? But this this would be a guy that people are quoting in Christian works. Um, I've, I have not, this is not included because I just found out that Kelsey Grammer, his, uh, who was on Cheers for many years, yeah. and Frazier has recently come to faith wow. and is being very open. And that's very exciting yeah. to me because, again, what that tells people is, yes, you can have money, fame, notoriety, you know, all the success in the world, and yet 
you find that that didn't do it for you and what you needed yeah. something more. And, um, and you and I, that's what we talk about all the time. That's right. Well, it's encouraging, and I hope folks will uh, pick up this book on multiple platforms. Yes, I mean, can, in God's grip, what golf can teach us about the gospel. And, um, yeah, it, it, it'll be in, available in many stores, but certainly in all the online places people buy books. And we'll put a link in our show notes as well. And so, Russ, thank you. Always good to be thank with you, Wesley. Thank you. Thanks for what you do and for this wonderful Wayside podcast that so many people are enjoying more and more now. Thanks. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. Be sure to rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen to us. This helps more folks discover our podcast. If you'd like to know more about St. Martin's, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.